It's March 23rd, and the lieutenant governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, gets on the Tucker Carlson show. He makes the argument for reopening the country and getting back to work much earlier than any health professional could possibly condone. And it's in this interview that he suggests that many grandparents would be willing to die for the U.S. economy, that there are many impacts to the coronavirus that are worse than death. His argument, perhaps more clearly than any other, demonstrates this dichotomy at the heart of the COVID crisis. Do we prioritize economics or public health? The answer is pretty clear for Dan Patrick. And it's pretty clear for some epidemiologists and doctors as well. But for the majority of individuals and institutions, it's a struggle to figure out this middle ground. Out of everyone facing the real-life duality between economics and public health, colleges and universities might have it the hardest. We expect schools to protect students, but we also expect them to function. What if they can't do both? I'm Edward Sturm. I'm Izzy Amoruso. And this is Duality. Every week we bring you two stories and a conversation about them. This week on Duality, COVID Goes Collegiate. We bring you two stories of universities responding to COVID-19 in two very different ways. Boston University and Purdue University are leading the way for the fall of 2020. But who should we follow? Just a note, this episode includes an update. You'll hear it after our original conversation. All right. So... (laughs) Uh, My story begins on April 10th, and at this point, uh, as you know, the country is in full-blown pandemic mode, uh, especially in the northeastern part of the country. Uh, The majority of colleges and universities have been closed for about a month, and it's pretty clear they're not going to be coming back for the semester. And it's at this time that Boston University publishes what they call a recovery plan. They shift their attention from the most immediate decisions about postponing the semester, online classes, to asking the broader question of what comes next. But out of that whole article that outlines a lot of different perspectives on recovery, there's one sentence that catches everyone's attention. Uh, And I'll, I'll read it for you here. They say that the recovery plan recognizes the possibility that the beginning of the fall term may have to be delayed and that a January reopening may be necessary, in which case summer 2021 academics would replace those now planned for fall of 2020. And with this, BU is really the first major university to say, guys, we might not even have a fall semester. But this gets pretty tangled in the media. Uh, There are articles from Forbes, from CNN, a ton of different internet outlets. uh, And the way that it's reported at least creates the perception from some that uh, BU is not opening in the fall at all, that they've already made that decision, which obviously is not a good look for the university. Right. And that's not necessarily what they're claiming in their report either. So it's just the perception. Right. that, That was not the text by any means, but it sort of ended up being construed that way, uh, which which was not good for BU, sort of put them on their heels in damage control mode. And at this point, I feel like I should should share that I am committed to study at BU next year. So I personally heard a lot about this. So I got an email from BU shortly after all the news stories kind of saying, whoa, there's been some misrepresentation in the media and that we have every intention of being open for in-person classes. So they're doing damage control to some extent. Uh, and in addition to that, they, they go back to that original sentence in the recovery plan and they revise it. So they leave a note saying that uh, the story has been edited to clarify a line about the contingency plan. 
And then the new sentence reads as follows. They say that the recovery plan recognizes that if, in the unlikely event that public health officials deem it unsafe to open in the fall of 2020, then the university's contingency plan envisions the need to consider a later in-person return, perhaps in January 2021. So... You know, to some extent, this is a better sentence. It's not going to make headlines. It's uh, much clearer. Exactly. And they also eliminated any mention of summer 2021. Exactly. That's that's um, the other piece of it, which is it is a different sentence. Right. Um, we've we've gone from addressing the possibility of not being able to open in the fall and giving the solution of a January reopening with extending to the summer to addressing the possibility of not opening in the fall and then considering a later in-person return, perhaps in January 2021. So not only do we now have that extra layer of uncertainty uh, that we didn't before, but we also have no mention of summer 2021, as you said, uh, and we have this added word in person, which sort of opens the door for fall existing in an online format. And in my opinion, at least to understand why that change might have been made. Uh, I want to turn to a New York Times op-ed that the president of Brown University, Christina Paxson, wrote about the importance of reopening in the fall, uh, particularly on the economic impact that that it would have on various schools, citing that it's not a question of whether institutions will be forced to permanently close. uh, It's how many in the in the case that fall does not open in person, she of course cites all of the um, the, the pathos kind of reasons that we all want to be on campus. The the college experience, the the added value of in person classes. I mean, nobody can say the classes are as effective online. But she also talks about that economic impact uh, and how important tuition is to those schools and how schools getting that huge drop of money at the beginning of a semester for tuition is essential to sustaining them. Edward, I'm curious, are you aware of any institutions that have already announced more concrete plans to be online in the fall or not have in-person classes? You know, not exactly, but there are some some institutions that already have closed. You know, I turn to um, there's a, a small university in Wisconsin that uh, was reported about closing, citing COVID concerns already. So it, there's no doubt that enrollment concerns, as well as just the nature of an economic recession, are going to create this issue and already have created this issue for universities, whether or not fall semester can happen as planned. In the event that fall semester, that we get to the point where fall semester isn't happening for some or all schools, I think that that is going to be exacerbated to the extreme. Sure. And I think that ties in nicely to Purdue's response to the COVID outbreak. They took a little bit of a different approach to the situation than BU did. All right. Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Um, So Purdue was actually one of the first higher ed institutions to respond to COVID-19 entering the U.S. And now they are campaigning to get their students back on campus for the fall. Purdue's president, Mitch Daniels, stated that he believes that COVID-19 poses zero lethal threat to young adults, meaning and implying his students. He released a statement on April 21st that suggested that students would be back on campus come fall. In the statement, he did include a myriad of precautions that would be integrated in the event that students were able to return to campus, which included spreading out class times, testing students and faculty before their return for infection or immunity, and trace contacting for those who tested positive. 
the response to his announcement was not entirely positive. Students were specifically worried that President Daniels was minimizing the potential effects the virus could have on his students or the campus population at large. It's important to note that nowhere in his statement does he definitively say that students will be on campus in the fall, but it is heavily implied. I think we can both agree that higher ed institutions are struggling right now to get potential students to enroll as well as getting current students to re-enroll. This response seemed to be geared towards that mission. We are seeing schools extend their enrollment deadlines and students are conflicted about potentially paying a regular tuition price for a less than regular college experience. Yeah, and that's certainly understandable. But I think that we can't act like universities aren't also stewards of public health to some extent, not only for the health of their students, but also in the sense that they are... I mean, they're, they're government subsidized entities, and I think that they do have a responsibility on that front alone, sure. uh, as well as just a responsibility is, is hopefully a, um, a public, publicly minded uh, business to uh, do what's best for their community. I, I know that, that Mitch Daniels, like, like you talked about, talking, talking about how maybe 80 percent of the, the Purdue community had posed zero lethal threat. But I mean, he also goes on to talk about the 20 percent, which is the, the faculty and the, the over 35, as well as students with um, pre-existing conditions or whatever it may be, uh, are, are certainly not in that position of, of having zero lethal threat. So uh, it's something for him to balance and something for for everybody involved to be balancing. So if you were a student at Purdue, and I, you don't have to imagine too much to, to be imagining a, 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 coming into a, a university, what would your response be to the Mitch Daniels announcement? You know, I believe that there is a happy medium in between the two responses that we've described, a more tempered mm -hmm. response that is able to prioritize public health, but also encourage students about their prospects for returning to campus in the fall. If I were a student or an incoming student at Purdue, I'm sure I would be skeptical of President Daniel's announcement because there is so much uncertainty about how long this pandemic will last and because I'm unsure if I would want to return to a campus where there is a strong possibility that students will be infecting other individuals who either live or teach on the Purdue campus who may not have the same ability to recover from the virus. Without any signal from public health officials that indicate that we would end up returning to campus as a hypothetical Purdue student, I would have probably preferred a response that integrated more transparency. To you personally, do you find the assurances of somebody like Mitch Daniels who's saying we're committed to being on campus in the fall knowing that he might not be able to promise that, but is going to maybe take further steps than somebody like Robert Brown at BU would. What is more attractive to you? Personally, just because I'm hyper aware that this pandemic brings along so much uncertainty, I don't necessarily find it comforting. I think it's in the best interest of all higher ed institutions to work on scenarios where they could feasibly have their students back on campus. But I also understand that much of this decision is not really under the school's jurisdiction, and if state officials deem it unsafe to return, then no matter what a school promises, students will not be able to return. I would honestly rather have a president or institution stating, we're scenario planning, we are doing our best, but unsupported claims just don't really sit well with me. That, that is an interesting perspective, and I, I think that... 
I, I'm not I'm not sure exactly where I stand on this, but I, I would I would venture that the majority of students might feel differently on that. And, and the majority might look on uh, somebody on a university like Purdue announcing more affirmatively uh, their intentions to be in person in the fall as as to some extent an assurance of, of what we're all looking for, which is to be on campus in the fall. Uh, so I think that it is very feasible that we could see enrollment improve for Purdue uh, over a school like BU when the fall rolls around, whether whether it's online <laughs> or not. Well, clearly these two schools have taken very different approaches to this situation. And from an economic standpoint, Purdue seems to be, from my perspective, the smarter one. Just as you said, most students probably don't share, in my opinion, and the assurance delivered in President Daniel's statement will likely increase enrollment. The prospect of online school is really off-putting to potential students waiting to commit, and to current students who have had negative experiences this semester. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's true. And it's in regards to that economic argument, we, we sort of talked about that in the intro, this idea of economics versus public health as being one of the central dualities in in this issue. The economic impact has already been great. I, I mentioned the uh, college in Wisconsin that is already closed, uh, but it's not just the little guys. It's even schools with outrageously large endowments like UChicago and UPenn uh, announced that they are going to be freezing salaries, slowing academic hirings, and suspending discretionary spending. Uh, just in the past past weeks or so. Sure. And another issue that will surely affect these institutions is their ability to provide financial aid. I'm sure many students are refiling the FAFSA currently because their economic circumstances have changed. Parents are losing their jobs. Companies are going out of business. So there must be students who are now having to worry about not being able to afford tuition, which is another factor that will affect enrollment. Certainly. And then, you know, when you talk about the way that financial aid plays into it, we see how a university's role as a steward for the health of their students becomes inextricably linked with the economic side of things. I think that's the essence of what we're trying to talk about with these dualities. We're not trying to find a an accurate ratio between right. these two <laughs> considerations. It's not that simple. Rather, they're so interconnected and confounded that good decision-making has to satisfy them both. And I'm sure that there are many populations that may not be at the forefront of the media conversations surrounding these issues, but will definitely be affected, one group being international students. Okay. Depending on how federal regulations shift surrounding travel, there will likely be many students who can't re-enter the country, let alone get back to campus. I would hope schools are working on accommodations pertaining to their education and what that may have to look like come fall. I think that's a great point, and I think that it is particularly applicable in the two universities that we're talking about. Both BU and Purdue have uniquely large international student populations, both, uh, according to Open Doors data, over um, 10,000 international students, ranking both in the top 10 of of uh, colleges and universities across the United States and the quantity of international students they bring. And as you mentioned, that is a particularly vulnerable population. So to return then to, to some of the other dualities, I guess, <laughs> is, if we're going to stick with that, in the, at the heart of this particular question, 
which university should be the model? We talked about how how both of these these colleges were leaders coming out pretty early in the process with different things. I think that we can both agree that BU's response was a little bit messy in the way that it was put out there. And I mean, part of part of it was just in the way that it was construed and perceived. But, you know, you're sometimes responsible for those kind of things. So setting that aside, which is the better model, in your opinion, for other universities and colleges as they're announcing their intentions for the fall? I think that universities could take ideas from both of these responses and work them into a response that can encourage students about their efforts surrounding getting them back to campus in the same way that Mitch Daniels' response did, while also maintaining a level of transparency around how feasible that actually is. If I had to choose one of these specific responses, I would choose Purdue's just because as an institution that needs to make money, that statement would be beneficial. But on a personal level, I really have a deep respect for the candid nature of BU's response. Yeah, you you said that you as an individual student at least, sort of sort of appreciate the transparent side of right. things perhaps more <laughs> than the the side of things that, that, that could could encourage the best enrollment numbers. And and I think I mentioned this earlier, but uh, the overall statistic right now is is around fifteen percent enrollment down. A lot of people are, are making the choice to not enroll in their not enroll in college at all. Maybe they're going to defer, take a gap year. Maybe they're not going to go to college. Maybe they're going to go to their state university or community college instead of traveling to go to a bigger university. That is something that is going to affect particularly those universities that are going to be accruing a lot of people from across the country, like Purdue and BU. So it'll be very interesting to see if the rhetoric that's coming out from the schools at this point in April and in May actually has a long-lasting effect down the road when it comes to uh, the fall and and we'll actually see how many people are on campus or, or online. online as the case may be. <laughs> um, I'm curious what your response is to your own question. What would be your ideal response? You know, and I think that you might have said this earlier and, and maybe this is cheating, but I definitely think that there is a middle ground between the two responses. One wherein we're not going so far as to give the impression that we're not going to have a fall semester, but also one with a dose of reality. I really respect what BU did in terms of being one of the first out to sort of acknowledge the reality that it might not be possible for us to be on campus. But I also don't think it was the best move for them. And I'm not sure it was what everybody, what was right for everybody to hear at this moment. For me personally... I would rather begin in January full stop and not have online classes go through the summer. That's ideal for me. I think that most freshmen are probably in that boat. But I think that for seniors who are going to be graduating or even students in the middle of their college experience, there would be much more interested in just getting the show on the road and having a real summer of 2021, especially because <laughs> the summer of 2020 is not going to be uh, what what people usually think of as uh, 
as a real as 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 a summer. Uh, you know, Robert Brown said that people are are being naive if they think that fall 2020 will look like the fall of 2019, and I think that that's absolutely right. I really appreciate that dose of realism, and I wish that. I hope that everybody hears that from the president of their university, but I don't think that the ideal response includes going so far as to um, get the response in the media that BU did. Sure. I was actually just going to mention something very similar to what you brought up, but the, the idea that students have, I think, right now that returning to campus means returning to normalcy or what they perceive as a normal college experience is slightly warped, just given the circumstances. Um, Obviously, this is something that most institutions have not dealt with previously, and there are going to be measures taken, hopefully, I would hope, by most institutions to keep their students safe. And what that may look like is, you know, maybe not having parties or maybe having smaller classes, maybe having some classes online, having some classes in person, finding a balance between that Um, while, while being in the dorms. I think that that might get undermined by some students when we are looking at these responses. Maybe Purdue is emphasizing that they would like to be on campus, but the reality of how that may look is maybe slightly different than the students are perceiving. For sure. I think that at this moment, you see all sorts of conjecture about what the new normal, at least for the beginning times before maybe there's a vaccine or some level of security from a public health standpoint. There's a whole lot of conjecture from Christina Paxson talking about what it's going to be like, like you said, to to have a college experience without parties or without large lecture halls, or even from Mitch Daniels talking about what it would be like to have everybody tested before coming onto campus. What is the feasibility of those kind of things? The truth is, we don't know what the future is going to hold. None of us can say that, assuredly. But it's very clear the way that the rhetoric that we've examined from BU and Purdue and all of the universities across the country are going to factor in to broader questions that the entire country is asking right now about the duality that exists between economics and public health. Okay, so... We have some news. We are back. We are back, yes. And (laughs) since our first recording of this episode, uh, there are some previously stated uh, what what has now become inaccuracies. Does that make sense? Can I say that? Yeah. So (laughs) Cal State came out uh, three days ago on May 12th, and they stated at that uh, juncture that their plan is to not have in-person classes in the fall. And this is a pretty remarkable development because the Cal State system is made up of 23 different uh, colleges and universities in California and has about 500,000 students enrolled overall. And along with that, the UC system uh, came out still stating that they are intending to have in-person classes, but also talking about the po- uh, not the possibility, the likelihood, uh, sort of announcing at that point that they will uh, be including some online and some in-person classes. Yeah, from what I read about the UC system, it, they are taking more of an integrated approach with a mix of online learning and in-person classes, or that's their ideal outcome uh, for this scenario. Right. So 
I, I think Izzy, actually, you asked me when we were recording last week, uh, yeah. have, have any schools at this point come out and said, no, we're not having classes in the fall. That answer has since changed. And this obviously changes the way that schools like BU and Purdue, both of them, will factor their decision making going forward. I completely agree. We see these schools coming to the forefront of this issue, stating that they are going to prioritize public health and the safety of their students. Without any concrete predictions surrounding what regulations will look like, I question if schools that have already released statements, like Purdue, may have to change or retract their statements. Exactly. Well, there's no doubt that it's going to make it more difficult for schools to be on campus in the fall, because if you have a situation where some schools are on campus, some schools aren't, an outbreak happens, they're responsible for the sickness, perhaps even death of students and faculty, they're no longer going to be able to say, everyone was doing this, we didn't know. People knew, people weren't doing that. And from a liability standpoint, that is a, a huge issue for schools who might otherwise want to go out on a limb or economically feel like they have to go out on a limb and have class in person to keep their enrollment numbers up or um, maintain the essence of their education. Right, and that definitely refers to smaller institutions, institutions with smaller endowments that, if they are not getting that income from room and board, may be forced to close. Yes, so... Definitely a change of events. I think I think we, we talked a lot about the student perspective in the first our first recording of this. Uh, Izzy, what is your student perspective on these developments? Well, I wasn't surprised. I'm not going to say that I was surprised that this happened. I think because I obviously I'm in California, so I've seen you know. Is that obvious? Oh no, it's not obvious. I'm in California and. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I've seen that everybody's been pretty good about social distancing. We did have a larger peak initially, you know, we had, we were, have a larger, we have a larger population generally. So it wasn't necessarily surprising that these schools, number one, were the first to take action. But personally, I would, I'm a little disappointed (laughs) Just because, you yeah, know. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. It's, it's sad. It is sad. It's scary. Yeah. And it sets a precedent for other schools because, you know, now I'm thinking, well, if I'm, if I'm going to go to school in the fall, will I just have to come right back home because they're going to have to change their decision based on the precedent other schools are setting? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something that we've heard about is this idea of intermittent social distancing. Right. Which logistically, I mean, from a health standpoint, I'm sure is is very sound and and might be necessary, but logistically is an absolute nightmare (laughs) if it's the idea of, okay, go to school, oh, a couple months later, more outbreaks, we got to go back home. That that level of um, shifting and uh, instability is going to be tough, particularly for colleges and universities. Next week on Duality, we'll discuss the murder of Matthew Shepard in 1998. Two decades later, we consider how his privilege has changed the narrative about hate crimes. Thank you for listening to Duality. If you liked what you heard, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.